Welcome to another episode of Pero Why Podcast, your modern day Tia's kitchen table with a bit of cheesement and less yelling. On most days. What's up, y'all? It's your girl CEO here. Hey, friends. It's Brenda, aka Babs, here for another episode. We are back. So, what's been up? Girl, it's been, um, I, I literally just said goodbye to my sister a couple hours ago. She, um, her and her husband came to visit me um, for the first time in years. Well, technically they came up, I think like two Christmases ago, but I didn't really get time to, I didn't get an opportunity to spend like time with her like that. So this is the first time that she's actually come here specifically for the purpose of visiting me in oh, life. Yeah. Girl, in like 10, 10, 12 years. Yeah, it's been a oh, minute. Wow, that's a yeah. minute. So it was dope. We went to go see a Yankee game. I sprained my inner thigh. That was great. How? I don't even know, CO. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and no, y'all nasty. I wasn't doing anything. The nasty at I, the Yankee game. I, not that I don't do it. I do, but that's not what caused it. You I do it at the Yankee game? I mean, no, I don't know. That just sounds like, like, like a dirty mess. I don't think no. But no, I was at a Yankee game, and I think I must have been walking the wrong way or something. And like, yeah, my inner thigh, like, it's like sprained, not sprained, but like it hurts. It's like sore, but not like a working out sore, but like I pulled something sore. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, that's pretty much it. I'm going to Puerto Rico tomorrow for a wedding. I'm excited for that. It's It's been um, a really busy, like, two weeks for me. Um, Loki had a little anxiety attack problem with sleep last night. <laughs> Thinking of all the shit I got to do and somebody is calling me. But I'm going to call her back. But yeah, how have your last couple of weeks been for you? What you been um, up to? I'm gonna put my cap because I don't remember. <laughs> Wait, so what? I, I said I gotta look at my calendar because I don't remember what I did, and I put everything in my calendar. I know it sounds crazy, but no, I'm, I'm the same way. No, I mean like not knowing what I. Oh, asked. not remembering. Oh, I feel that. Yeah. So um. It's been pretty good. I mean, I took a few days off last week or one day off last week to have like a day trip in the city, an overnight, essentially. That was fun. Um, I went to, there was this um, event. So I went to the Empire State Building for the first time ever. And as a New Yorker, it's like, you don't, I guess, I mean, as a New Yorker, I've never done any of the touristy things. So it's like, I was an actual tourist when I took those days. So that was fun. You know, it was an experience within itself. The weather was That's shitty. Dumb. The weather was not shitty, but the weather was um, like, you have the option of going to the 102nd floor or the 86th floor, but the weather wasn't good enough for the 102nd floor. So we, oh. got, we only went to the 86th floor, which was fine. It was still a view and it was nice. 102nd um, floor, that's like the popular place where people be getting married and all that, right? I guess. I've never I, been there, so I don't know either. I mean, you could see, I think, up to past 80 miles. Like, I think you could even see Massachusetts. Oh, oh wow. It's a big deal. Yeah. But it was foggy that day. Yeah, it was foggy that day, so... You um, couldn't see that. Gotcha. We shouldn't see that. So we didn't we didn't get this we didn't um do that floor. We did the 86 store. And we stayed in Brooklyn. We heard an orchestra mm-hmm. play Adele songs. Oh wow, so, that's lit. Yeah. I know, without the words, cool. I'm assuming. So it's just yeah, the without the words, just the instruments. Mm-hmm. So like the violin, the cello the orchestra was in a church and I legit was thinking I didn't know that the event was in a church but that day before I was like oh I feel like maybe I want to go to church or whatever Mm. feeling like you know whatever I just wanted to go into a church and then all of a sudden the event is at a church and I was like all right universe god I see you 
talking to me, <laughs> just putting me in the places that, you know, mm. that I'm asking to be. Um, it was in Brooklyn. Never been to that church. It was cute. Um, and then I had a long, it, it was nice because it felt like it was like the weekend already, but it wasn't the weekend. Mm. So I went back to work on Friday and then the weekend came and I was like, oh shit, there's more days off. You know, it was a nice oh, break. wait, wait, wait. So, so you took thir- Wednesday and Thursday, but then you went back to work on Friday. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. So that was fun. And then, you know, I've just been working. Working hard. Same old shit. Different day. Every night and day. What song is that? I don't know. You didn't give me enough. Okay, my bad. I'm sorry. I don't even know what comes next. So I can't give you any more. <laughs> Oh, anyway, anyway. I'm glad you had some time away. You deserve it. You work your ass off. So all about taking that PTO time. And self-caring it up. Yep. Hashtag self-care. But uh, anyway, so we'll move on to the no me digas, which is shit in the news. And there has been a lot of shit in the news. I feel like it's just been a really heavy Oh my Two goodness. weeks, like stressful as fuck. If I'm being and honest. today I got and today too. there was another shooting of 18 children in Texas. I know that it's still a developing story, but um, yeah, they they shot up an elementary school. Um, I think confirmed that dead is um uh, a teacher. I don't know if they've confirmed the status of all the kids. I'm, you know, uh, I've been trying to stay on top of it, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's just, you know, another thing to pile on top <laughs> the last two weeks because they've been crazy. Yeah, In addition yeah. to what's happening, well, what happened earlier today, also the shooting, um, uh, in, um, in Buffalo, New York. Uh, mm-hmm. that there's a little there's more information about that like we know that the person was 18 years old they were a white supremacist and it was racially motivated um it was there was a whole bunch of crazy really racist and hurtful shit on his on the gun that he used um and I don't want to go into like the details of, of what happened too much. I just want to commemorate at least the names of the people that, that, um, that were killed by this person. Um, Roberta uh, Drury, Margus Morrison, Andre McNeil, Aaron Salter, Geraldine Talley, Celestine Cheney, Hayward Patterson, Catherine Massey, Pearl Young, and Ruth Whitfield. So the other thing that I, I wanted to talk about um, that I think is is important, especially for us, I think, is uh, Roe v. Wade um, and essentially like what the, um, the decision, not the decision, but the draft that was leaked um, on the Supreme Court um, opinion, the Supreme Court opinion um, regarding Roe v. Wade. So mm-hmm. um, I think that a lot of people know Roe v. Wade just because of its association with like reproductive rights and, and abortion uh, restrictions. But mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people know the specifics. So we're going to share that with you today and kind of um, just share what uh, this information means and give you also some historical context. So um, what is it and what did it represent set in motion? So Roe v. Wade was a landmark decision in 1973 of the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court ruled that the Constitution of the United States protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. The decision did specify certain restrictions. Um, In the first trimester of pregnancy, the state may not regulate the abortion decision only the pregnant woman and her attending physician can make that decision. In the second trimester, the state may impose regulations on abortion that are reasonably related to maternal health. 
In the third trimester, once the fetus reaches the point of viability, a state may regulate abortions or prohibit them entirely so long as the laws contain exceptions for cases when abortion is necessary to save the life or health of the mother. Then in 1992, this is actually not talked talked about as much, so that's why I want to mention it. Then in 1992, through Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the court upheld a right to have an abortion that was established in Roe v. Wade in 1973, so they upheld Roe v. Wade. And they also altered the standard for analyzing restrictions on that right, so undue burden on married women seeking abortion, so requirements for parental consent, informed consent, and 24-hour waiting period. So essentially, like, um, this particular case upheld Roe v. Wade, and it also ruled that there... Um, the substantial obstacles that were placed in the path of a woman seeking an abortion of a non-viable fetus, they essentially said, you cannot place all of these obstacles in their path if they are, in fact, uh, 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 seeking to have an abortion. So, um, and what does the leaked SCOTUS draft mean? I think a lot of people think that that means that already uh the the uh, precedent or the supreme court decision has been overturned and that's not the case it is still um in my opinion still very scary but it's not it just means that the justices are talking about it and that it will likely um, be brought to a vote and what would happen if roe v wade the decision was revoked so Essentially, what would happen if Roe v. Wade was revoked is that uh, the decision regarding abortion would return to the states. So meaning it will likely remain legal in more liberal states like Connecticut and New York, but could become illegal with some like really uh, devastating consequences in more conservative states. So right now, if let's say a state like Texas or Georgia tries to pass um, some sort of super restrictive abortion law, um, organizations like ACLU and other uh, organizations that do legal work will take uh, these states to court and they a lot of times can utilize Roe v. Wade as a precedent to support um, essentially blocking those laws. But if this was to be overturned, that would make that uh, much more difficult or maybe even impossible. Um, and I mean, I, I think I'm going to say one more thing about this before I pass it over to Sio so she can share her thoughts on this. Um, but I think one of the things that I've seen that I absolutely agree with is that wealthy women, politicians, mistresses, and daughters will still have access to abortion um, at any point, really. I think it's important to name that th those that are going to be most affected by this decision or this, this overturn is the most marginalized and those that are in economic instability because they will not have the money to be able to, let's say, go to a more uh, to, a, to a state that actually allows abortions to happen or be able to have access to doctors that can do that shit in secret in a safe um, way that, that supports their health. Um, and I, I think that something to also name, and I think that we've spoken about this before, is that uh, this brings up the idea of legality and like uh, criminalizing folks that uh, can give birth that choose to have an abortion. But even now, uh, even though um, abortion and other uh, reproductive rights are available or, or less restrictive, there is still the, the issue of access. So it may be legal to have an abortion in some of the more liberal states, but still um, it's not accessible and not just abortion, but just general reproductive health for the people that do want to have children to be able to do it in a safe um, and supportive environment. Um, so I think also thinking about that um, beyond the, the legal portion of it is also the access. So um, I think, yeah.
I think that that's a little bit about how I feel about all of that. So it's interesting because I had a conversation with someone and I was like, oh yeah, like, you know, there's a possibility that abortion can be illegal, even if you don't, even if you know that somebody's just getting an abortion, you know, like it could be as serious as that. And so Mm -hmm. she she didn't understand the concept. I mean, she understood the concept, but I don't think that she was aware that it could that that's how we've regressed in a way mm-hmm. right because it's like she's like wait what like we're really actually thinking about this like this is actually mm-hmm. a possibility that we will not be able to have this this accessible to us and i'm like no like that's i mean you know like we this this will be a thing like we will have regressed years and years and years mm-hmm. so <clears throat> I I just bring up that point because I think that in in a way sometimes it seems surreal mm-hmm. like this even be hot, like that this could even be happening right now right mm-hmm. um mostly because I mean I know that there's a lot of things happening around us but it's it's almost just like really like really like this was already all said and done. Like, why are you mm-hmm. messing with the, why are you bringing, why are you bringing this shit up? Like, this was already talked about, discussed. Now you're wasting energy on shit that we don't need to be talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's not important to bring light to this because obviously it is important since we know how the importance of talking about things, mm-hmm. um, talking about different situations, circumstances, just this is, you know, the platform to do that. But I mean, I feel like this, it's, I just can't imagine why the government feels the need to have ownership of our bodies in -hmm. this way. You know, like it's, it's, it's mind blowing to me. It's almost like, you know, this Western way of being is just, trash like this is not mm-hmm. to think about the fact that if you have if you are raped and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna just just um bring up some trigger points here guys like you know this may be triggering for anybody for someone but you know we're gonna talk about it you'll skip over it catch us on the next episode or catch us for the for the better why but essentially you can literally be raped by a family member and not have access to, to, to get an abortion or mm-hmm. to do as you see fit, right? Right, exactly. Or just have the option. You know, I think that, I just can't imagine that there is not some ulterior motive for the government. And I think that that maybe sounds too conspiracy-like, but we know like you said those that have access to money wealth they're gonna have there's gonna be privileges that people are gonna have that women of color are not gonna have Mm -hmm. we do we really need to sit here and and police people's women's bodies like we really need to we really need to bring this up I just, I also actually maybe want to, and I'm, I'm ruminating, but do you know, like, why did this even come up? So this has always been a conversation from, I mean, I, I was watching a documentary that essentially like uh, outlined um, how abortion rights and, and specifically have been a point of, of on which um, politicians run. Like I have family members, even just me remembering, I have family members that literally hated everything else Trump stood for, but because he was pro-life, they voted for him. So this has always been a thing, right? I think governing women, governing uh, women's bodies, this, this has been a thing forever. People have been trying to fight once Roe v. Wade was actually passed, people have tr- been trying to uh, fight back against that since it was passed. A perfect example, Trump stacking the, the Supreme Court. 
He did that purposely, knowing that if he placed conservative leaning Supreme Court justices on there, it was more likely that Roe mm -hmm. v. Wade could be overturned. So, mm. um, so yeah, so it's been in, 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 this has been a back and forth forever. And I think it's also because of the fact that, um, there the there's that part of um conservatism that is connected with religion in in, in christianity and um utilizing that as the basis to make government decisions or or, or create legislature right mm -hmm. so um the way that this came out was because someone uh, essentially risked their job to leak this letter to essentially let everyone know the conversation that was happening behind closed doors, quote unquote, you know, between some of these Supreme Court justices. Um, and that's essentially where I guess the uproar started, but the actual conversation and the back and forth um, regarding abortion rights and restrictions has been, I mean, I couldn't even tell you right off the top of my head, but I do know that it's its something that, that has been at the center of political discourse and just in general um, for this, for this, well, I wouldn't even say just this country, just in general pro-choice to say the least oh i am too i will say that and, and this is me just being completely honest and vulnerable that i think that my i went from being like um oh this is a very long time ago and this is a journey for me um i went from being i was never a, a pro-lifer ever but i was a, a very moderate pro-choice Right. Uh, specific contingencies like, you know, for women that has been sexually assaulted or, or incest or any of that. But now I'm completely pro-choice that a person should have the right to be able to make that choice. And um, I also think that I'm not going to go into any like of the arguments or any of that, because we can be here all day uh, in doing so. But I guess I just wanted to share that because I, I, I recognize that there's been a transformative journey for me in terms of like acquiring knowledge and just understanding like um, the importance of women being able to have uh, have the right to do it, but also have the access, which even if let's say we, we were to completely set in stone, um, you know, the, not just the, um, on a, on a state level, but like not, not just, um, uh, not just through Roe v. Wade, but through actual legislature, the, the, the uh, abortion access, there would also be the question of access of actual access. So that's, that's still something that, that needs to work. But as we know, we, we can't necessarily do that until, um, the legality is, 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 is where it needs to be. And right now that's, what's, that's, what's in jeopardy. Um, so I, I know that we typically, whenever we share things like this, we always give you, or we share, what can you do, right? What are the things that you, you can do in order to, um, you know, do something right. Uh, so, um, the first thing we would say is donate to abortion funds. Um, whether this changes with Roe v. Wade or not, abortion funds need your money. Um, and this is kind of ties back into the, the whole uh, idea of access, right? Abortion funds assist um, women who otherwise or people that, that, that uh, get pregnant that otherwise wouldn't have access to um, not just uh, abortion care, but also just re reproductive health in a lot of instances. Um, also donate to organizations fighting in the courts. So that goes back to the, the, the question of legality and volunteers with volunteer with organizations that provide transportation from restrictive states to states that allow abortions. And um, I know I'm, I'm making very general statements, but we'll make sure to 
put the names of these organizations and websites um, and even Instagram pages in the body of our um, of the episode. And also uh, call representatives in your states and in other states, because if something like this, if it does end up being overturned, the power is going to be in the hand of the local elected officials in order to essentially govern um, what abortion um, laws would look like uh, in your state. So those are some of the things that you can do and just keep educating yourself, making sure that you are uh, consuming information from reputable sources and, and um, you know, staying in the know. Okay. So now I know that was a, a lot of like really heavy things. Um, and, um, you know, we went through some pretty loaded uh, questions and topics, um, but we're going to move on to Remedios, which is essentially uh, us giving you some life hack feedbacks and feedbacks, feedback. Girl. So this is really quick and easy, and it might seem obvious to most people, but believe it or not, it's something that I just learned for myself maybe about 10 years ago, and I am about to be 34, y'all. So check your credit. So me and Sia always say, you know, we live in a capitalist <laughs> society, yes. um, which is, is governed by this specific number, y'all. Like it's, it's incredibly uh, impactful to just your livelihood in general, as you know. Um, so you need to make sure that you're aware of what your score is. is this is especially for uh, co college students, not just for people our age, but also college students, uh, recent college graduates, um, because you're in a moment where you're essentially making decisions that are going to affect your, your credit for the rest of your life. So contrary to popular belief, your score does not go down when you check it, only if there's an inquiry from actual creditors. So you can literally check your own credit. 25 times a day. I don't, <laughs> I don't recommend that you do that just for the sake of your mental health. But, um, <laughs> but it is something that you can do. So you can do it through Credit Karma. You can do it through uh, Equifax. You can do it through TransUnion. Um, and as long as you are checking your own credit, there is no um, negative or impact at all to your credit. So it only comes if you put in an inquiry or open up any new accounts. So yeah, just that little nugget of, of knowledge for y'all. Do you want to add anything to that, Sue? I mean, it's funny because uh, I just want to touch upon this idea that we are not taught about credit. At mm -hmm. least I was not taught about credit. Same girl. And we're not taught about really managing finances I think in a way that's helpful for our lives now right I mean mm -hmm. at least I'll speak for myself you know I had a lot of um unhealthy habits but I've been more mindful and aware of you know where I spend my money and when to and when not to and just really like try not to give in to capitalism for me I think that's been the biggest thing mm -hmm. um in order to help me manage my money in um in a different way but yeah. uh this concept of it's okay that you know you weren't taught about what your finances should look like or how you know to be financially wealthy or or not wealthy but obviously like um just financially stable. well stay stable exactly financially stable um it's okay right but it's just a matter about what you do to learn to do otherwise and realize right. when you have those unhealthy habits and and just acknowledging them for what they are and moving yeah. forward because anything is really possible and even if it feels like a daunting task because it is like oh my god I gotta build my credit it takes forever I need to have this account open for 1800 years blah 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 you know you can always start somewhere and even if you have no credit there's prepaid credit cards that you can get start slowly and build up yeah yeah it's all about uh, trying to figure out how to uh, unpack and work through some of the um, 
uh, trauma associated with money um, in order to be able to make better decisions. So I feel that. All right. So now we're jumping into the better why for this week. So the better why this week is better. We speak Spanglish over here. So it's not even a question, it's a statement. So um, today we're gonna be essentially talking about our experiences with language and unpacking the stigma that comes with speaking Spanglish and being labeled not Latina enough because of that. So in full transparency, I actually um, uh, brought this up to CEO because of a conversation that I had with a family member. I'm not going to go into it too much because we will talk about it throughout this conversation, but that's essentially why I, was, I decided to that this was something I wanted to bring to the Tia's kitchen table because I'm like, yo, like it really bothered me and it really stuck with me, the conversation that I had. And, and I, I think that it's something that we need to unpack. So just really quickly, before we actually jump into um, the conversation, I'm going to give you all a little bit of history that I found on Spanglish um, once I looked into it before, because of course, we always want to give you context before we jump into, into the nitty gritty. So just really quickly, the origins of Spanglish, uh, so the actual concept, not the term, I'm going to tell you about the term in a little bit. The actual concept of Spanglish stems from the time the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was signed. This treaty gave Mexican territory located territories located in the southwestern part of what is currently the U.S. Um, and these territories represent present-day Arizona, Colorado, and New Mexico. A lot of people don't know that, that, um, you know, hello, colonization. Uh, but due to assimilation, these families were forced to speak English at work and outside of the house. If these families didn't cooperate with this, they would often face discrimination. As years began passing and first-generation Americans started having children, this new generation created Spanglish as a way to merge the two cultures that make them who they are today. As Latin American parents and their children started to become more comfortable with both in, um, languages, Spanglish developed as a happy medium to both languages. But the actual term Spanglish was first recorded in 1933, and it corresponds to the Spanish terms Spanglish from Espanol uh, plus English, I was going to say plus English, English introduced by Puerto Rican poet Salvador Tio in the late 1940s. Also, English Espanol from English plus Espanol and Inglañol, which is English plus Espanol, but the more popular term that has been um, popularized <laughs> is Spanglish. And capitalized because I have a shirt that says Yo Hablo Spanglish. Oh, yes. That's, that's my language también. So first things first, what comes to mind when you think Spanglish? When you, when you, when you think Spanglish or you hear the word Spanglish for you, Seal? When I hear Spanglish, the first thing I think about is English and Spanish in one sentence. <laughs> yeah. So some of the girls at work, they speak Spanish and they also understand English. So I will start my conversation in Spanish and in English. I will start my conversation in English and in Spanish. I love it. Um, and I really do enjoy Spanglish, actually. It makes me feel like I'm still practicing, but I'm still speaking English if I need to. And I can, yeah. and I have the flexibility to do so. Facts. I wish I could snap. But also, I think it, it reminds me of the dope-ass words that sometimes our family doesn't even know is Spanglish, like vaporu. Yes, that's true. Right? Like, yep. um, not gonna lie, because I use this. <laughs> I love this word. Furnitura, like furniture. Muebles, I think, is the, the Spanish. The but um, I think it also just, uh, similar to like the little short excerpt I read about like the history, essentially just reminds me that 
I am a complex individual that's made up of so many different things. And that language is one way that represents, the language that I speak or the way that, that I speak Spanglish represents the, the fact that I, you know, was, that I am um, Mexican, but that I was also raised here, like around hearing Spanish and English. So essentially like a merging of, um, you know, two different parts of me. I love that. Yeah. And what has been your experience as a person who speaks Spanglish with family and elders, especially? So it might, I mean, I, my family primarily speaks well, okay, let me think about this for a second. So my grandmother, she speaks Spanish, so I would only talk to her in Spanish. She wouldn't understand English, so there was that. My mom, she doesn't not welcome it. Like, if I need to say something and I can't say in English and Spanish, she'll just understand me and we'll just move on. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I remember at some point in my life being, I don't know if it was, like, made fun of, or like judge for not knowing the word in Spanish and just speaking in English Mm. but that trauma doesn't feel too heavy for me so I don't really know if that's true and I'm just making it up Mm. I mean maybe it is true but it just didn't feel like you didn't feel like it really like made an impact on you it's just something you remember yeah I guess I did feel embarrassed Mm. to say certain words because I wasn't sure that I was saying them right and I they just wouldn't come out Mm. so yeah it's it's interesting you say that right because I feel like um uh I can I can speak from for like uh, just like the experiences that I've had with with like family members and whatnot. But I think that a lot of our family members, especially those that are native Spanish speakers, they their interactions within like the the mainland in US is especially with other English speakers and with age like government agencies that don't have uh, Spanish speakers or translators or just interacting at their jobs with people that don't speak Spanish has not always been a positive one, right? They they were judged for not knowing English and, and discriminated against um, in, in many different ways. But then a lot of times those same family members turn around and uh, es- essentially like um, project some of that shame on their like children, cousins, uh, nieces and nephews for not speaking what they imagine to be perfect Spanish. And I understand that it, in a way, it's this like trying to hold on to uh, one of the, the things that, that um, as my mom would say, that the one thing that they cannot take away. But I have conflicting thoughts about that, right? Because um, I'm like, um, in order to in order to push me to hold on to this very specific piece of 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 um of of, of my identity it, it almost turns into like a like a shame a, a way of, of of shaming for not fitting in a specific box or for not knowing language the way that they believe it needs to be spoken. Well, I think that um, it's funny that you mentioned that because I will say that I I was raised, obviously my grandmother, she's Puerto Rican, so she had the Puerto Rican accent and she had, you know, she had the accent of what it means to be Puerto Rican from the mm-hmm. island. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I was, um, exposed to Ecuadorian Spanish which Mm. is very different Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So I would feel like I would feel embarrassed to claim the 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 accent of the what it meant to like the Puerto Rican Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I just assimilated or not spoke mm-hmm. Spanish. So I feel like my Spanish could have developed had I not felt the shame or judgment because I feel like I was judged. So I would just not speak it. Or I wouldn't speak it around certain people or I would try to learn it in a different way. Mm. So now my Spanish is not even, it doesn't come with an accent. When I'm talking to my grandmother, there is an accent, but like if I'm out and if I'm like talking for work or whatever, it doesn't, it, it, I try to just speak it in a professional way, right? Without Mm. an accent. And then people are just like, oh, where are you from? You know, Spanish so well. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. why? Because I don't have an accent. Mm-hmm. you know like I don't I can't and maybe we're we're not talking so much about accents the way we are talking about the actual language of Spanglish but mm-hmm. just something to think about yeah I think um, I think back to like um so I I entered school um as an ESL student so as English as a second language so my first language was was Spanish um and English was my second language, but um, you know that that changed over time. By the time I was in like fourth grade, um, you know, English was the, the language I spoke primarily, um, and then I would speak Spanish with my parents. <clears throat> and then once I I left home, you know, I was primarily speaking English, right? Because at work at uh, UNH, you know, most of my friends that I was interacting with, like we were speaking English. So because of that, you know, uh, I started to step into my Spanglish more, right? That combination of English and Spanish. And I, I guess I'll, I'll talk first about like my experience with like family and elders. Um, it would be like jokes, you know, like, um, like making uh, fun of like specific words that I would use. Um, my mom specifically like always corrects me, you know, in terms of like me utilizing like wrong words or whatever, as, as she as she puts it. But um, but I also think that there's this, even though I know that the intentions are good, right? I, I think that... Um, that some of the ideology behind like not accepting Spanglish, especially by by some of the um, older Spanish speakers in my family, is really based on this idea that there's good Spanish and bad Spanish, which kind of goes back to to this like supremacist ideology in in certain ways. Um, because, and it's funny, and this is just like being like really honest, like the, when you mentioned that thing about trying to hide your Puerto Rican accent, it reminded me of certain people in my family saying that I spoke like a Puerto Rican and that I needed to learn how to speak good Spanish. And those are one of the views that got to my head and I'm just like yo like what yeah so I and it just it really fucked with me right and I was just like in I think I it just made me really think of like how complex some of these ideas are because it's like in in, in one way it's like you understand, well, at least I understand my family wanting to keep Spanish as a way to hold on to a bridge to their, to the community and and, and culture, right? Especially being here in the U.S., having to assimilate in so many other ways. But then there's also the other side where it's like, okay, you are, you are shaming a language because it's not the version of 
the colonizer. Because if you think about it, like Puerto Rican Spanish, um, even some Mexican Spanish and, and Spanish that is uh, considered more colloquial is an evolution of language. Language is meant to evolve. And that those different uh, words or the, the merging of, of, of languages or, or evolution of the language happened because of our people and, and ancestors saying, hey, we're gonna, we were given this language, essentially this language was forced upon us, but we are going to make it our own. When this family member was shaming my my use of Spanish, Spanglish or saying that I spoke Puerto Rican Spanish and that I needed to learn how to speak the correct way if I was going to maneuver in this professional world because I'm a professional and an academic and that I shouldn't be speaking Spanish that, uh, Spanglish or, or Spanish in that way, right? It just, it, it, it made me upset. I think it's it's the best way to put it. Even though I understood, I also knew that the the that these concepts were like integrated in our culture and in another way to to essentially like whitewash language. And I also just say, let's remember that when Spain got, arrived to Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico was Borinquen, and Borinquen was, they didn't speak Spanish on the island. Exactly. So Spanish is really a colonized language. Like it's yep. the language of the colonizer. So when you're talking about the mixture and the evolution of language, like it makes sense because at the ending of the day, there were people who were still assimilating because they felt like they had to mm -hmm. and then <laughs> because they felt like they had to then the the language was lost the mm -hmm. you know indigenous language was mm -hmm. lost and there were only very few populations in like the suburbs in the in you know outside of or away from the city that were still talking the language but they in a sense um it's like this concept of erasure. It's like, they're not really, you know, their language was maybe erased, but it was because those people were not being identified in the census and they mm. weren't, um, they, they're like, there was no documentation because people just started moving away mm -hmm. from areas that needed to record you know, who you are and what language you spoke and what you're, you know, where you were from. So it all really just stems from colonization and really this concept of um, it needs to be a certain type of way. And it's, it's, it's an elitist view, essentially, mm -hmm. It is, you know, and it's, it is unfortunate, but a lot of Latino Americanos feel like that. They feel like that about Puerto Ricans. I, and maybe other places too, you know, I don't, I maybe the Dominican Republic, but I think that, fuck it. We should just talk however we want to talk. Yeah. You know, if you know what I'm, what I mean when I say the elevador, but it's really the ascensor or the, um, the boy. What the ascensor? Ascensor. Ascensor is the the is the term for elevator. Oh, I didn't know that. I've been saying elevador my entire life. Ascensor is is elevator. The base the basement basement is mm -hmm. the sotano. Oh, I knew that. <laughs> the um Vicks Vaporub. Well, that'll always be Vaporub. Yeah. And I don't know. I just think that language is a very powerful thing and it's important how we use language to you know treat other people but most importantly share culture mm -hmm. right and I think that I don't know but the memes on on the Latinos with attitude page are funny <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, some of their shit is hilarious, not gonna lie. Oh, man. Some of it be mad problematic, but most of them are hilarious. Some of them are problematic. No, for they are, they are, but some of them are funny. Hilarious, honestly. But no, you're 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 totally right. And the the whole um literally what you said about like how Spanish is is not the language of our ancestors that well uh, specifically um uh if we're talking like geographically that it's the indigenous people that were first there that's the the native language um i literally said the same thing to my family member <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you um they it just i i think that at a certain point i was just like you know uh i think i just need to move on I, I said what I need to say. They expressed, I understood the, what was informing their opinion. So I just had to let it go. I shared what I knew and I just left it at that. And I said that I'm going to continue to speak Spanglish and I hope that you continue to communicate with me. <laughs> yes. I love so, that, the boundary. You know what I'm saying? Go are and how authentic you showing up that's it that's it well that's actually a, a good segue i feel like we kind of talked about it a little bit but it's a good segue to the last question which is what do you think about language as a marker of identity in the concept of speaking good spanish which i feel like we spoke about a little bit but more so like language is a marker of identity about the whole not being Latina enough for, especially for people that don't speak Spanish. So, I think that, um, what do I think about language as a marker? I, the way that I fit, so my, my answer is really gonna be based off of someone who, allowed that allowed exactly this like people to identify me as not being Spanish enough because at the time maybe I didn't speak good Spanish or at the time I wasn't I can't imagine I don't remember feeling like I didn't want to speak Spanish mm. to to the degree of saying like Cause some kids now they won't speak Spanish at all. Like they will mm -hmm. just listen to what you have to say and respond in English. So I wasn't that kid. Like I would still try, but just with the idea of knowing that like, you know, some people would just feel like you, like my Spanish wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that I will say that um, when I started my job many moons ago, I was tested on my ability to speak Spanish because you would get a, a increase, right? Based on your uh, proficiency in Spanish. And I was able to get the, the increase or whatever, but I um, doubted myself and my abilities because I felt like I was judged based on, on not being... Latina enough and not being able to speak it the correct way or I had seen just that people were always judging it and using it as a marker for determining your worth within your own culture which sounds fucking crazy to me it does so I think it's because I'm trying to think of what my perceptions are of people who don't speak Spanish, but are Latino as well, or identify as Latino. I just think that those people are assimilated. Like mm -hmm. they, they just, in a lot of ways, like maybe they didn't feel comfortable for whatever reason, but I think in a lot of ways it's some, 
subconscious assimilation that people just don't choose to continue the culture forward. I also think that sometimes it is an elitist way of thinking or an, an, it could be in like your parents or someone not whoever you were influenced by them having this elite concept of like, you don't speak Spanish, you're an American now, you got to speak English, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? I don't mm-hmm. know if I really answered the question, but um, yeah. I think it's complicated because I think you brought up a good point that there are like uh, people that don't know Spanish because their parents essentially said, you know, you're American, you speak English. And that could be either a survival tactic or like you said, uh, a sense of like elitism, right? Um, I also think it's important to name that not all Latinos speak Spanish. Some Latinos um, or some folks that folks that live in what you would say Latin America speak French or they speak Portuguese or they speak various different languages. And obviously like indigenous um, uh, languages as well. So I, I think it just depends on, I don't think it's fair to base someone's Latinidad. I think Latinidad in itself is very complicated. So I'm not gonna bring that up right now cause we're already like an hour in. But I think that to make speaking Spanish the marker for Latinidad is in a way, erasing the different complexities of being Latina, if that makes sense. I, I, so I feel like utilizing Spanish as like a core marker for the Latina identity is a way of erasing all the different parts that make up Latinidad. Okay. You, you see what I'm I, like? I, I also say this as someone that like, um, on multiple occasions I've, uh, and I guess this is, this is a little bit, I guess it's less Latina, more about my people questioning my Mexicanness or, uh, because I get asked like, you know, how old were you? You know, where are you from? I'm like, I'm all Mexican. Um, you know, when did you come to this country? I was like, oh, I was two years old. They're like, oh, you're not Mexican, you're American. And um, I guess it's a similar concept, but it's a little bit different. But um, I, I think saying that just because um, just because I did not grow up in Mexico, that that erases my connection to my culture. I think it has an impact. I think realistically it has an impact, but that doesn't make me any less Mexican than the next person. And I think it's similar to tying Latinidad to Spanish. I get it. But yeah. I feel like I want to say one more thing, but I really, I mean, I really do agree with that because I feel like you could still have your culture embedded in you without having learned Spanish or been able to learn Spanish. Yeah. And not any one group of people's experiences of what it means to be Spanish or Latino really right mm-hmm. not not to be spanish but to speak spanish or be latino because being spanish is being from spain mm-hmm. um uh oh fuck i just lost my thought it's okay girl that's been happening to me all week i think it was the weed that i smoked earlier <laughs> it was some new shit sometimes it makes me blank draw blanks like it makes me so Focus that I'm focused on something different and then the the thing just goes away. Mm. I feel that. 
Well, my perspective is that I don't think that language should be a marker for identifying. Um, I don't think that whether or not you speak Spanish should be an identifier of your culture or and how you identify as where you're from. And I don't think that it's right that there is this concept of good Spanish and bad Spanish. It's mm. just you are able to communicate and you understand me, right? Yep. Exactly. Then that's yep. all that matters. That's all that matters. There's people who are able to build connection with people who don't even speak the same language. Mm, speak on it. Okay. And those are... And actually that was, that just happened to me the other day, this guy, he's like, I speak five languages and English. I'm not too good at, but we were able to kind of come to a place where we understand each other. And it was a genuine friend, like for not friendship, but just a general connection and a genuine relationship at that moment. So it's just like, why do we need to put other people down and judge them based on where they're from? Cause at the end of the day, we're all from different places and our experiences are different. And language is just a vehicle of communication. That's it. It I mean, words mean something. So, but that's a whole nother conversation. But I mean, in terms of policing, um, just uh, Spanish as a language, I think is nuts. But anyway, that brings us to the ends of our bit of why. And as always, thank you for joining us for another episode of Bit of Y Podcast. Make sure to follow us on IG at Bit of Y with two Ys podcast and like and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. But bye, y'all. See y'all next time. Diaz out.